We've been building towards this, and this is the Sunday. Tuesday, October 31st, 2017, is the 500th anniversary of October 31st, 1517. That date when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the door in Wittenberg, Germany. The 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. It's likely that in your lifetime and in mine, you will never get the attention that we've tried to give to the Protestant Reformation over the last several weeks. I mean, nobody is going to celebrate with much gusto the 501st anniversary, or the 502nd anniversary, or the 523rd anniversary. This is a big deal, the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Luther's nailing of those 95 theses was not a, an attempt to break from the Catholic Church. He was hoping to start a conversation that would lead to reform. But the break eventually came. And for 500 years now, we have essentially known the Roman Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, and the Protestant Church. And of course, we are of the Protestant tradition. For the last 500 years, that break having taken place, in particular from the Catholic Church, different answers have been given to essentially four key questions. First, where does religious authority lie? Where does a religious authority lie? And the Protestant Reformation answered that question and says, ultimate authority lies in the word of God alone. Not in church councils or in church tradition, not in the Pope or the magisterium. The ultimate and final authority for matters related to God and to salvation and to life, Scripture alone. What is the church? Is the church essentially made up of those who are at the top of the ladder? Pope, bishop, priests, and then the rest of the crew down at the bottom. The Protestants' Reformation brought us to realize and to understand that no, there is no degrees within the body of Christ. Every man, woman, and child united to Jesus Christ by faith is a priest to God. What is the essence of Christian living? The Protestant Reformation answered that question as some saw the essence of Christian living as a monastic lifestyle or as one where you would go into the priesthood and eventually hope to become a bishop and then hope of all hopes to become the Pope. No, the essence of Christian living was to serve God in any useful calling. That any man, woman, or child united to Jesus Christ engaged in any useful calling. You didn't have to be a monk. You didn't have to be a nun. You didn't have to become a priest. 
to really live the Christian life. You could really live the Christian life in any calling. And then fourth, how is a person saved? In answer to that question has come the five solas that we've been looking at over the last several weeks. Testified by Scripture alone. How is a person saved? By the grace of God alone. Based on Jesus Christ alone. Received through faith alone. To the glory of God alone. Because as we've stated, and I want to state it again as we begin, our problem according to Scripture, is that before Christ, you and I were spiritually dead. The Apostle Paul said, and you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and you were by nature children of wrath. Spiritually dead and in need of life. And by virtue of our sin, we were under the wrath of God in need to be made right with God. And God's solution to our problem to be spiritually dead and to be under His wrath was to bring, in a word, salvation. To make us alive to God and to make us right with Him whereby He is 100% for us, whereby He accepts us and He loves us. And He did that as testified by Scripture alone, by His grace alone. You and I moved from spiritual death to spiritual life, to being under God's wrath, to being right with God, all of His grace It's not because we merited it. It's not because we deserved it. It's because of his graciousness towards sinners that any of us are saved. Not only by God's grace alone, but based on Christ alone. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who lived a holy life we couldn't live and then died upon a cross to pay the penalty for what we've done and then rise from the dead in victory. It's because of Him, Christ alone, His work upon the cross in our place and for our sins, whereby we move from spiritual death to spiritual life, from being under God's wrath to being right with God. Him and at peace with Him. So we are saved by God's grace alone, based on Christ alone, and that this gift is received by faith alone. It is wonderful, as we said, that Christ has come and Christ has accomplished salvation, but how does what who He is and what He's done become mine? Is it through my good works? Through the keeping of the law? No. It is by faith alone. We trust in Him. We cling 
to him. We just say, I will cling to Christ alone. And we actively do it, but it's, an, it's a completely passive kind of thing because we're not contributing anything to what Christ has done. We simply receive. It's by faith alone. And all of this to the glory of God alone. That's what we want to look at this morning. We love to get credit for stuff, don't we? And we were just always loving it. Sometimes we do some really good stuff, but nobody saw, and boy, we wish they did. And so we go to social media, you know, <laughs> tweet about it, Facebook about it, just so everybody knows how great a guy we are, how wonderful a gal we are, just in case you didn't notice how cool I am. Give me some credit here. We like to get credit at home for stuff we did, credit at school for stuff we did. We love to get credit at work for stuff we did. If we're on a team and we contribute to the cause, we love to get credit for it. Even around church, if we do some stuff, we love to, to get credit for it. We, we want people to praise us and honor us for what we've accomplished in the community. We love for others to recognize the contributions that we have made to whatever it is that we're talking about. When it comes to our salvation, from spiritual death to spiritual life, from under the wrath of God to being made right with God, bummer, we can't take any of the credit. None. Zilch. Zero. It is to God's glory alone. Look, if you have a Bible... Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, pull it up on your phone or on your tablet, whatever you might have with you. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to glance through verses, verse 3 down through verse 14. Interesting little trivia question. Verse 3 all the way to verse 14 is one sentence in the original Greek text. Paul is going on and on and on and on and on. If you were an English teacher, you would give him an F for this sentence. It is way too long. This is one of the most magnificent, I want to say paragraphs, but it's, it's a sentence. It's one of the most magnificent sentences that has ever been written, ever. It is Paul praising God for what he has done for sinners like you and me. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he will praise God the Father for, if you will, selecting us. He will praise God the Son for sacrificing for us. He will praise God the Spirit for sealing us. And if you're unfamiliar with the text, I'm going to show it to you, but, but having highlighted God's selection of His people, He will end it with the praise of His glory. And having highlighted God the Son's sacrifice for His people, He will end it to the praise of His glory. And then having highlighted the fact that God the Holy Spirit has sealed his people, he will end it to the praise of his glory. Verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him, in love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will to the praise of the glory of His grace. To the praise of the glory of His grace. God the Father chose us before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to be His children. And who's to praise? God is to praise. And God alone is to praise. To the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Jesus, in Him, verse 7, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. God the Father selected us, he chose us, he predestined us to the praise of the glory of his grace. God the Son sacrificed Himself for us. He offered Himself in verse 7 through His blood. And by virtue of relationship with Him, he has, He's given us insight into what He's doing in history. The summing up of all things in Christ. And all to the end, to the praise of His glory. Verse 13, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. When you came to that place and, and, and united yourself to Christ through faith, the Holy Spirit of God came and he sealed you. He marked you out as belonging to God. And it was a pledge. It was, it was like whenever you got engaged and you gave her that ring. You give that ring as a pledge. Baby, here's the first thing I'm giving to you. And it is a promise of everything else that is to come. And God gives his spirit as a pledge. It's a promise of all. Everything else that is to come with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. He gives his spirit as a promise that I'm going to take you all the way home to the praise of his glory. And so I've highlighted it, but let me highlight it one more time. We're talking about one sentence here. 
And in this one sentence where Paul is praising God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, for what he has done for the salvation of people who in chapter 2 he will say were dead in their trespasses and in their sins and were by nature children of wrath. Three times over in this one sentence, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. As testified by scripture alone, you and I are saved by the grace of God alone based on Christ alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone. One commentator in describing the glory of God said it like this. The glory of God is partly to be explained as His brightness, splendor, and radiance that are visible to people. So his, his brightness, his splendor, his radiance that, that's visible to people. And then he backs that up with Scripture. Moses was only able to see God's glory as it passed by him. So Moses was able to see the glory of God as it passed by. It's compared to thunder, a bright radiance and a brilliant cloud. Paul elsewhere says that God is immortal. And lives in unapproachable light. Who no one can see or has seen. Jesus displayed his divine splendor in his transfiguration. You remember that story in Luke chapter 9. When, with Peter, James and John. And, and, and he appeared in, in clothing white and brilliant. When the new Jerusalem comes, it will not need the sun or the moon because the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. God's glory is a manifestation of who He is in His essence, majesty, and power and indeed in His holiness and purity. Being in the presence of God's holiness leads the angels surrounding the heavenly throne to exclaim in praise, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Maybe in a phrase, the glory of God is the greatness of God. He is great. He goes on, to praise His glory is thus to recognize that He is the one true God, the Creator of heaven and earth, and to give Him the honor due Him. God has no peer. As the psalmist exclaims, the gods of the nations are idols. God is the one eternal King and displays the majesty of His sovereign authority. For that alone, He is worthy of honor and praise. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glory. Now, we might look at this the other way. Familiar passages to some of us, especially if you've been around here because I go to them often. Let me just quote you one and then I want to show you the other one. Not because I've never shown it to you before, but I just want you to see it on paper. But here's the one to quote that we're all fairly familiar with. 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not as a result of works. So that no man may boast. When it comes to our salvation. We were dead. But Christ made us alive. We were under his wrath. But now we are right with God and have peace with God. There is no room for boasting. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. But let me show you this one. Turn to your left a few books to Romans chapter 3. So this is the meant to say the flip side of all of this. To God alone belongs the glory and not to us. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. So that no man may boast. And here I want to show it to you in pen and ink, black and white. Chapter 3, verse 21. I've said before, this may be the greatest paragraph that's ever been written. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. Now, let's remind ourselves of context here. Paul has said in chapter 1, verse 16, that he's not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God has been revealed. From faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. We looked at that a month ago when we talked about Martin Luther coming to his realization that salvation... And righteousness is a gift that we receive from God. Because the reality is, in and of ourselves, none of us are righteous. We're all unrighteous. And after having said that in 1.16 and 17, Paul spent 1.18 all the way to 3.20 proving that all of us were sinners. That all of us lacked righteousness. But he had just said that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And that's what he was so passionate about. And then he says, from 118 to 320, because none of us have righteousness. We need it from someone. And then 321, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness which we must have but don't is revealed for us in the gospel. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is available to those who believe. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not one of us is righteous. We, we need a righteousness, but we don't have it in and of ourselves. But through the gospel, it comes to us through Jesus. Verse 24, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just 
He did punish sin when he crucified his son and made him a propitiation in his blood, verse 25. So God shows himself to be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So he does punish sin, but praise God it wasn't us on the cross. It was Jesus on the cross shedding his blood for us so that God can freely justify us. Verse 27, here's conclusion number one. Where then is boasting? And I love this. It is excluded. It's just absolutely excluded by the gospel. No man, no woman, no child who's, who has been saved by the grace of God can boast of what they've done to deserve it or to earn it. Charles Hodge was the great theologian of yesteryear at Princeton Theological Seminary before it went its liberal ways. But here's what Hodge said. Paul means to say that the result of the gospel plan of salvation is to prevent all self-approbation, self-congratulation, and exaltation on the part of the sinner. He, the sinner, is presented as despoiled of all merit and as deserving the displeasure of God. He can, he, he can attribute in no degree his deliverance from his displeasure to himself. And he cannot exalt himself either in the presence of God or in comparison with his fellow sinners. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. You and I cannot boast before God as to how wonderful we were that he would save us. And we can't boast in relationship to anybody else. Well, you know, the reason God saved me is because I'm better than you. No. We're all dead in sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are spiritually dead and under his wrath. There's no room for boasting anywhere by anyone. That's why John Stott would say, there is indeed something fundamentally anomalous about Christians who boast in themselves as there is something essentially authentic, appropriate, and attractive about their boasting in Christ. All boasting is excluded except boasting in Christ. Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we sing, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. As we just sang this morning, I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, whenever the Apostle Paul was, was overflowing in thankfulness about God saving him and putting him into service, 
even though he said, I was formerly a persecutor and a blasphemer and a violent aggressor. He said that God was merciful towards him. And he said, not only was he merciful to me, but to any and to all who will believe. And he said, this is a trustworthy statement. Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. And then, having reflected on that, that he was a great sinner, but that God had saved him and even put him into service, and that God can do that and will do that for any who will believe, he then says, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. In Romans chapter 11, when Paul comes to the very end of Romans 11, chapters 1 through 11 are, are, are rich, and beautiful in their doctrine and in what they teach about our sin, but God's provision through Jesus Christ received through faith and the gift of the Spirit and all the like. When he comes to the end in Romans 11, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? No one. Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? No one. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Summing up Reformation theology for the last 500 years. Theologians have said these five solas get at the core. Scripture alone. Grace alone. Christ alone. Faith alone. To the glory of God alone. So briefly, and then we're going to close in song. Number one, I've got four things, I think. To encourage us. Number one, stay humble. Stay humble. I was out jogging this morning and this old sentence came to mind. I'd forgotten about it. And it's often talked about in relationship to the word of God and, and its divine authorship. But here's how the sentence goes in relationship to the Bible. That this is a book that you could not write it if you would, and you would not write it if you could. You could not write it if you would. Okay, I think I'm going to write a book, and I'm going to go from the heights of the glory of God to the depths of satanic evil. I'm going to go from in the beginning to, and he shall reign forever and forever. I'm going to talk about sin and salvation, about righteousness and rebellion. I'm going to talk about man in the image of God, but fall. It, it, the heights and the depths, the, 
this way and that way, here, there, and everywhere. If you wanted to write it, you couldn't. It's just beyond us. We do not know the mind of God. We cannot plumb the depths of truth that would enable us to write a book like this if we would want to do it. But then, it's not a book you would write if you could. The point there being, okay, let's assume that you could. You wouldn't. Because what this book does from beginning to end is exalt the glory of God and absolutely humiliate man. And if you and I or I were going to write a book like this, we'd probably give ourselves some credit here and there, you know? We'd probably paint a better picture of ourselves. We'd probably have us in the mix on our salvation. You know, God does his part and we do ours. And he gets some credit, but so do we. And there's some places here and there where we can pat ourselves on the back. But the reality is, there's none of that. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Where then is boasting, it is excluded. So let's stay humble. But secondly, let's be confident. Stay confident. I love the way Tim Keller says it. We are, this is the gospel in so many words, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. In Romans chapter 5, having shown that we are sinners and having shown what God has done in the person of his son and having shown that it is received by faith, Paul then says this in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we stand in grace. We stand in it. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. We will see him. And he says, we shall be saved. And then he says again, we shall be saved. Romans 5, 1 to 11. You were a sinner, but God gave Christ to accomplish salvation. It's received by faith. And having received it, you have peace with God. You stand in grace. You're going to see him. You will be saved. You will be saved. And then in Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God's the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, the one who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who's at the right hand of the Father, who also intercedes for us. We are and he lists all of these troubles and trials and persecutions that can come our way. And he says, we're, all, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Who can separate us from the love of God? I'm convinced that neither life nor death, angels, principality, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So yeah, we're humble. My salvation is all of Christ. Nothing of myself. To him alone be the glory. Not to us, oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. There's no boasting on my part. 
But at the same time, I have peace with God and I stand in grace and I will see him. I will be saved. I will be saved. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. If he accomplished it for me, then I'm secure. Amen? Amen. The third, be thankful. Just read a text to you from Luke 17. While Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem, he, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. They raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When Jesus saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. As they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to Jesus. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were not the ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Ten of them were cleansed. Only one came back to say, thank you. May God make you and me a thankful people. As we understand that our salvation, the most important thing ever in our lives, was all of his grace and nothing of ourselves. And then finally... Sing loud. Sing. All right, if you're not going to sing loud, sing. Do you sing? Paul contemplated these things. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He just praised. Now to the King Eternal. He just, I know he's doing it in pen, but surely... He did it through his voice as well. Oh, I would love it. And I'm happy for it. That not only the distinctive sound that would come from this room at Redeemer Community Church would be the proclamation of the Word of God. I sure hope that's the case. But alongside the proclamation of the word of God as a distinctive sound of this place, I would hope it would be the singing voices of God's happy people for what he has done for them through Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. We bless you this morning. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to the only God be honor and glory forever and forever. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We praise your glory, your majesty, your holiness, your righteousness, your perfections. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your love. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who willingly came and gave his life.
for us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who has sealed us for the day of our redemption. All to the glory of God. Lord, make us a humble people, yet a confident people, a thankful people, and a singing people. And as we leave today, oh Lord, might this gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ be on our hearts and in our heads and on our lips as we go forth to those places where we live, where we work, where we play, where we're passionate about. May we be a gospel-loving, gospel-sharing people. We'll pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.